Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I feel like I should say something like, I'm back. It's been a while. It's been a month since I've done a podcast, and boy, did we have a crazy June at teachmetotalk.com. First of all, we drove over 3,000 miles, did six conferences in three cities over two weeks in June, and that was just a blast. I want to give a big, big, big thank you to the staff at Driscoll Children's Hospital in Corpus Christi. I spoke from one of their continuing education events for their whole department. They have about 18 speech pathologists, and almost all of them were there for two days. And I just love that group. They were so fun, and it was a different kind of audience that I generally speak to, and so they were great. Love, love, love the folks who came out in San Antonio. We had so much fun there that we're going to go back in the fall, because so many uh, of our new friends there said, we had friends that wanted to come, and I think there were some conflicting events both in San Antonio and in Houston when we were there. So we want to definitely, definitely go back to Texas. And the food, I cannot even tell you how good the food was. I'm, I'm, I've worked, I'm, I'm having to work hard to get all that food off. So it was a great, great, great trip. And again, uh, loved it, loved that opportunity, and I love any time we go to somewhere. You know, we've been to Dallas before, and I had a great event there. I think it was back in 2011. But to kind of go to somewhere that was brand new was just so much fun. And let me mention one more thing about that group in Corpus Christi. Um, if you have a group of speech pathologists who work for an agency, a medical facility like like that great group um, that I spoke to, any other a, a contract company, any time like that where you're offering um, continuing education as to your whole group as something that you all do together. I love speaking to groups like that, and I can certainly tailor a presentation just for what you guys want. So you can, if you need more information about that, contact me at laura at teachmetotalk.com. And one other continuing education opportunity is, of course, getting a group together and, and doing my courses, which are both on DVD now. And again, you can get information about any of that at my website at teachmetotalk.com, or if you need personalized help with that, you know you can always email me, and I will be more than happy to help you. Okay, other things that happened in June, which kind of made it crazy for me to do podcasts. Uh, I'm participating in this study. I think I've mentioned it before, but it's a national study. I'm so excited about it. It's with Dr. Cynthia Crest out of University of Nebraska at Lincoln, and we are standardizing a new pragmatic test for toddlers ages 2 months to 12 months. So that's, that's our population we're using to standardize diving because we're going to now be able to really tease apart all of those factors, all of those skills that we look at that are really predictive in when a child will begin to become a functional communicator or talker. So I'm so excited that I get to participate in that study. And if you live in my area, if you live in or around Louisville or now Lexington, Kentucky, and you have a baby 2 to 12 months that you would like to offer to uh, be a part of that testing, that standardization process, I would love to meet you and talk about it. 
And please email me at laura at teachmetotalk.com if that's something you're interested in. And we certainly are including at-risk babies in that uh, population, again, two months to 12 months at the time of testing when I, when I come visit you. Or um, we can include, uh, we really want to see babies with no red flags as well. So wanted to put that out there. I mentioned Lexington. I'm so excited. We are moving teachmetotalk.com to Lexington, our anticipated date sometime in September. We'll be making that move. And so I know lots and lots of moms listen to the show who want to come and get that second opinion or third opinion or 14th opinion, and we will be resuming those assessments with me beginning in our new space in the fall in Lexington. And we'll have more more details about that coming up, but I can't tell you how happy I am about uh, making that move. And it's closer to an airport than we've, we've been, you know, where our practice currently was in Shelbyville, Kentucky, right outside Louisville. It's about a 30, 20 or 30 minute drive from the airport in Louisville. And some parents really wanted something with better access. And so Lexington will certainly, um, fit that bill. And so if you're thinking that's something that you want to do, please email me for more information about that. And I'll just say it one more time. It's Laura at teachmetotalk.com. Okay, let's mention a couple of more announcement kinds of things before we get going with today's topic. I'll be in Chicago twice late summer. First of all, July 31st to August 1st, but that's already sold out. That may not be good news to you, but it is good news to me. <laughs> I'm excited about that. We also, because we, it was selling out so quickly, we added a second set of dates for Chicago. And again, this is Greater Chicago. We're actually, um, the hotel that we're holding the event in is in Warrenville, Naperville, Greater Chicago. And so some folks I know that have called to register by phone are so excited that it's not in downtown Chicago because they're uh, a little reluctant to drive maybe if they're coming in from somewhere else and are a little scared about that big city driving or just the the time that it takes to sit in traffic in in a big city like Chicago. So so we pulled out a little bit and we're having it there um, in a suburb that's easily accessible. But if you want to come to that, it's selling out quickly. So pop on teachmetotalk.com today and register for that. And again, those days, August 14th and 15th. We're also looking at dates uh, later this fall. Uh, I already mentioned going back to uh, Central Texas. We hope to be in San Marcos for that one. And there's a big outlet mall there, so I am thrilled about that. But we're also looking at New Orleans. And then I've been getting tons of email from Georgia, from speech pathologists saying, please come back to Georgia, please come back to Georgia. So those are um, things we're looking at there as well. And let me just mention this while we're on this subject. Every time I announce a new conference location, especially on Facebook, people will comment and say, when are you coming to, you know, whatever their city is, Pittsburgh or Sacramento or, um, you know, somewhere in Montana, wherever they live. And this is always my response. The biggest factor for us in determining where we hold a continuing education conference is our access, our direct access to a provider list with speech-language pathologists and uh, early intervention specialists or whatever you call your teacher people in your state, whether you say developmental interventionists like we do in Kentucky or developmental therapists like Indiana or wherever. 
if you have a state program or, um, again, some kind of database, some kind of online list of folks who provide birth to three or pediatric services in your state, help me. Help me get access to that. Send that link, and we will do what we can to work out an event in your area. I've had some people that have been so sweet in the past that have tried to kind of do some data on their own and, and put together you know, a list of you know, 20 uh, agencies or whatever. Usually we're looking for a broader reach than that. So again, if you can help me with that, if you live in a state that, um, that you have that online access, with your early intervention program, or again, any other kind of networking. It might be that your state publishes the licensure list for all speech-language pathologists right there online. If, if that's the case, and if we can kind of sort that out with who does early intervention and who doesn't, I mean, boy, do I want to come see you. And we, let me just say, too, that we always are pretty generous with people who help us find that information and help us get an event going, particularly in a state where we've not been. So wanted to put that out there. If anybody wants to help us with that, again, contact me. I, I want to hear from you. All right. Today's topic is one I have talked about for a while, and I have, excuse me, sort of mentioned it on the podcast before, and I get always get a lot of email about it and a lot of questions about it. And it certainly is a topic that speech-language pathologists discuss. And if you're not a speech-language pathologist, you may hear this and think, well, what's the controversy about that? <laughs> Why in the world is that, a, is that something you speech therapy people would even talk about or argue about? I don't want to say argue, but discuss. And I'll talk about that as I go, but it is a little bit controversial in our field. And again, I've... I've talked about it in conferences. I've talked about it on my my courses that are on DVD. And so I thought it would be a great topic for the podcast because it always seems to come up. All right. So today we're going to be talking about the 10 reasons that I still teach the sign more first. Now, when I'm saying sign, for those of you who are not speech language pathologists, we have tons of parents who listen to this show. And maybe you're a first-time listener. And if that's you, thank you so much. I, I love it when moms go that extra mile and listen to ways to really help their babies at home who are struggling to learn how to communicate. Sign language or teaching really simple sign language is something that's been around for a long time in the field of speech-language pathology. And the, the rationale for that is signs. It, you know, and again, I'm talking about sign language um, that deaf people, hearing impaired people would use to communicate. Signs can be a bridge for a frustrated toddler who wants desperately to communicate but still is waiting on those first words. And so sign language, again, is something that's been around for a long time. When I went to school in the late 80s, early 90s, we, it was brand spanking new then. Sometimes when I first started to work in the 90s, some parents were a little reluctant to use sign language because they thought maybe if I teach my kid to sign, he won't ever talk because he, he won't ever have a reason to talk if he's got those signs to fall back on. That, that's baloney. <laughs> Hardly anybody feels like that uh, or, or hears that anymore when I, again, I was just in Texas and I asked if people were reluctant, parents were reluctant if they wanted to initiate signs with their toddlers who were getting speech therapy 
And in all three cities that I was in, nobody thought that was a big anymore. Everybody said that's pretty commonplace. And certainly with um, media, with all the news stories, and certainly online, and all of the great programs that promote baby signs, that's not even um, something that parents haven't heard of before because it's, it's it's all out there, available. So, uh, again, we may not feel the pushback that we felt uh, 20 years ago when I first started to work, or over 20 years ago now, when I first started to work um, that we did then. It's, it's no longer something that's brand spanking new. But here's, here's the controversy with speech-language pathologists. There are some professionals who believe that if we teach the signs for more, that children overgeneralize that. And by um, that I mean they use the sign for more for everything and and it they, they don't really learn that they should expand and it just kind of becomes an all-purpose, you know, that's all I know how to do, blah, 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 blah. Let me just say I don't think that's a good enough reason for not teaching the sign more. And I have 10 very, very specific reasons. And, and I'm talking specifically about the sign more because that seems to get the most um, mention when people are talking about not doing it. But really, speech pathologists who would be concerned about or who would think that teaching the sign more is not a good idea would also consider other signs like please or um, hmm. Thank you. I don't really teach the sign thank you either, but I'll, I'll tell. I'll explain that later. I don't teach that first. But but the the general thing. Let me just say we're talking about the sign for more here, but you could also think about other kinds of very general words. Maybe eat would be in that. Maybe drink would be in that because again they're they're feeling like we don't want to teach things that aren't specific for one one item, one specific toy, one specific activity, one specific food. Okay, so that's the premise. And again, I don't believe this is this is what we should be doing, and let me explain why. First of all, the sign for more and why I still go there first if a child is a good candidate for signs, the sign for more is easy. It's probably one of the easiest signs that you can teach, and that's why I think it's a great first target for a child who we are enticing to communicate, who we are teaching for, again, a toddler who's not picking up words as quickly as we would like, or even a child who lacks... Um, a way to communicate, again, we, we, I usually make sure when I'm deciding what strategies I'll use for a child, I look for some prerequisite skills that let me know that sign language will be effective, and we always want to look for, you know, is the child socially engaged? And so if the child is, is socially engaged with us, we think, okay, that's great, that sign still may be a way that we want to go with this. If the child's not socially engaged, we don't go to signs right at first. We have to get him to want to be with other people. And so I would back up and do my social games and my other things. And certainly a child who's not socially engaged probably also has a pretty big receptive language issue, meaning that he doesn't always understand what words mean. And that just makes sense. If a child hasn't paid enough attention to other people, 
he probably also has tuned out words and hasn't had enough um, motivation is not the right word, but enough exposure to language because, again, he might be isolated or avoid other people. We typically think about children who are at risk for an autism diagnosis as being a child who is not socially engaged and, again, probably has a lot of difficulty understanding what words mean. So those are two of the things we look for to decide will signs be a good way to go with this kind of child. And so if a kid isn't socially engaged, that's where we start. If we think there's a big receptive language problem, that's where we start, not with signs. So those would be reasons we weren't going to sign yet. Another thing that I always look for when deciding if sign language would be a good treatment method would be if a child is already demonstrating some communicative intent. And what do I mean by that? That means that a child is using something, either his face, his voice maybe, or other gestures like pointing or reaching some way to let you know, hey, this is what I want. And they may not be doing it with words yet. And let's face it, most of the time we're not going to see children <laughs> who are using lots and lots of words as pediatric speech and language pathologists, you know, unless, of course, it's working on an intelligibility issue or something like that. Most of the time, though, for we speech-language pathologists and other early interventionists who specialize in that birth to three population, usually there are very little, minimal words when we get a child at the beginning of therapy. So we look for, again, those other ways that a child has learned how to compensate. So using gestures is certainly something that would let me know, hey, signs may work for this kid because he's already figured out I need to use my body to let other people know what I want. So if a child is pointing, if a child is waving, if a child is even maybe doing some simpler things like reaching to be picked up out of the crib when mom walks in in the morning or clapping along with me, if he'll imitate that, you know, say, yay, as he does something wonderful in our time together and he starts to imitate clapping or if he imitates clapping that he hears say, on TV, say a game show is on. You know, his mom, Price is Right, on in the background, and he hears some clapping and starts clapping along with that. Those kinds of things would let us know. This child gets that I use my body in imitation of another person, and certainly the children who are waving communicatively or pointing communicatively are telling you signs are going to work for me because I've already managed to do that kind of stuff on my own. So again, those are kinds of the kinds of things that we look for as prerequisites to let us know that science would work. So I like to start everything and think about everything that we teach a toddler who's having difficulty learning to communicate as a hierarchy. And by that I mean I'm going to pick a place to start where I meet him just where he is. And so we're not going to start with things that are way too hard for the kid. You never start with a goal. <laughs> you never start at what your goal is. You start at where the child is showing you that he can be successful. So when you have a kid who's already doing some really, really early gestures like pointing, like waving, like clapping, like dancing along with an adult, you know, when you when you hear some music and you can dance and the kid kind of dance with you, that tells you, 
hey, I'm ready for this, and I want to start again at a level where he can be successful, so I'm going to pick something that's easy, which is why I love Design for More. It's easy. If a kid can flap, he can find more most of the time, even if it's just an approximation. So you may be thinking, I don't know, what about kids with cerebral palsy or kids that have really significant motor limitations? If they can get their hands to midline, that's what I need to know. If they can do that, then I know that signs, I need to start with a sign that's easy. And again, in, in mind, in my common sense, <laughs> let's, look at, let's look at this kind of thing here, more would be a place to start. All right, so let's talk about what if a kid can't get to midline? What if, what if bringing his hands there isn't something that's easy for him to do? Or, or you may be thinking, well, I don't know if a kid can get to midline or not. If he's holding a bottle or a sippy cup, he already brings his hands to midline. He's, he's doing that. And, again, I, I'm saying this for you moms that aren't familiar with a term like midline. Midline means right in the middle of your body. And so, again, when a kid claps, he's already at the perfect place for more. And I meant to say this earlier, the sign for more you, if you've never seen anybody sign it before, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you can Google it. Just type in sign language and put some quotes and, and spell the word more. You can also find a really good article on my website at teachmetotalk.com called First 100 Signs. And just to make that easier for you to find, type it into the search bar that's at the, in the top right-hand corner of Teach Me to Talk, and you can pull up a, an article that has the, you know, a great list of the first signs that, that we're teaching. So, again, I like to sign for more because it is, it's easy. Put your little fingers together all of your fingers, both hands, right there in front of your body, and that's the sign for more. And so the first reason, again, in my kind of, I don't understand the big controversy about this, I want to take a common sense approach to every single thing that I would teach a toddler or every single strategy that I would teach a parent. I still like the sign for more, first and foremost, because it is easy. And we don't want to make things too difficult for our little friends when they're first starting because we want success. Success is so important. Success is important for the child because it makes him good about himself. When he feels good about himself, he's going to feel better about me, and he's going to like me more. He's going to want to perform. He like, A lot of kids will really work for that verbal praise piece. You know, if you are a speech-language pathologist or another early intervention therapist, you can really pick out those kids who are, um, as I like to say about myself, praise junkies, the kids who love for you to clap and say yay for them. And, again, we want them to have that early success. We want them to feel like, you know, it's motivating for them to keep trying. So that's why we would start with a sign like more because it's more likely to get that success. I like to think about early success as being important for parents too. I love it when I've been able to teach a kid a sign or a word or whatever our goal is. And certainly we're talking about the sign for more, and this has happened over and over and over in my practice. When mom sees a child do that, often on the first day of therapy, she feels great about that. She feels like, her baby is learning. She feels like there's hope. A lot of times 
parents have um, in the assessment process and the evaluation process of getting a child qualified for therapy services, they hear a lot about what their children can't do. There's a whole lot of focus on deficits or delays, weaknesses. And so when we are able to teach a sign like molar to the toddler who's nonverbal, moms get so excited about that and they feel like he's smart I knew he could do it I'm so happy this happened or sometimes they're a little bit surprised they feel like yes he did it you know because they thought maybe it was going to take a little longer or they had almost gotten defeated as they were hearing all of these things their child can't do so I think that early success piece is huge, and again, that's why I like to start with a really easy sign like more, because if I've paid attention to my prerequisites, if I've known, okay, he's social enough, okay, he understands language well enough, okay, he's got some gestures going, there's some motor control here, if I've paid enough attention to that, I can almost predict who will sign for me and who won't just based on those things. And so introducing a sign like more again will, is easy enough that will really let you know hey, signs are probably going to be a successful strategy here. So number one, the sign is easy. Number two, the second reason that I still teach the sign for more first, because the physical movement is so easy, it's fast. Teaching the sign for more, usually we're going to get a response, especially a response spontaneously, meaning that without physical assistance, the child tries to do the sign on his own. You know, again, because of the the simplicity of putting your little fingers together like that, we can usually get that pretty quickly. Now, let me back up. I said there that we want to get the sign spontaneous. We want the child to do it on its own. If you are working with a child and first teaching signs, please don't ignore the value of offering physical assistance when you're helping the child learn how to sign. What do I mean by physical assistance? That means you're going to help him do the sign. So you've modeled the sign for more. You've said, let's say you're going to use a snack food or a toy that a child really likes or maybe even a movement activity. You're, you're picking based on what you know the child loves and you've modeled the sign several times and the child does imitate you. You should absolutely reach out and take his or her little hands and help them with their hands together to do it. Don't just rely on them imitating you. Now, it is, it is perfect. It is a gift <laughs> when a child tries to do it after you've just shown them once or twice how to do it. But most of the time, for children who are just beginning speech therapy and we're at the very beginning of this process, you need to reach out and really put some hand-on-hand assistance, hand-over-hand, hand, uh, that physical to get them started. But, again, the sign is sign for more is so easy physically that we can usually get it an attempt at that pretty fast. So that's another reason that I like to start with uh, the sign for more because if a child is a good candidate for signs, we know that that's one that um, we're going to get that early success and, again, not take weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of practice before a child would start to do that on his or her own. And let me just have two little, let me mention two things again that I've already talked about, but I, I, I want to be sure that we're mentioning it here. 
if you have worked on signs for a long time and you are not seeing any success, it's usually because the child isn't developmentally ready to sign. And again, we've already mentioned what are the things that let you know that a child will be a good candidate for signing. I'm going to say it one more time in case you've glossed over that. He has to be social enough. He has to care about other people. He has to be pretty easily engaged with you, so he stays with you for at least a couple of minutes, okay? If he's not doing that, again, that may be why signs aren't working for him. So you need to back up and spend some time getting that social engagement piece really further along before you think about introducing signs. That second prerequisite, if a child doesn't understand what words mean, sometimes adding a sign makes it even more difficult for them. I feel like, gosh, we're layering something else they can't do or they can't understand. So that might be a reason that if you've worked with a child for a long time and you're seeing no luck with signs, you might have to take a step back and really look at that receptive language piece. It could be, again, too, that the child doesn't have that gestural piece. He's just not ready to use his body in a meaningful way. And so I always tell speech-language pathologists when, you're, when you've tried for weeks and weeks or, uh, heaven forbid, it's a month to introduce a sign for more and you're not seeing it and you feel like it's a physical problem, please refer out and get an OT or a PT consult. You have another therapist looking at the child's motor skills. And again, because the sign for more is so easy, um, when a kid isn't doing that because of a motor skill component, he needs more than speech, okay? If he's over two and that's hard, he needs someone else other than a speech-language pathologist or an early interventionist working with him. He needs somebody who specializes in looking at that um, motor, we are great, we speech language pathologists really know our stuff, and early interventionists have that early training too, so if there is a motor problem, we need to send it on to a person who can help us problem solve and more importantly, help that child gain better motor control, and 99.9% and, uh, of the time, that'll be with an OT or a PT to really, really look at that motor piece. It may be a strength issue. It may not be a tone issue. It could be a motor planing issue. But again, guys, that's neurological. And if certainly we know how to, how to address those things when it affects a little one of our little friend's mouths. If it's a big body motor planing issue, we need an OT or a PT looking at that kid too. All right, so... Um, I told you I wanted to say one thing about that. Uh, you know, if, if you've been working with signs for weeks and weeks and weeks and have seen no progress, look at that prerequisite list. That could be a reason why. You're working at a level that's too hard for the kid. You need to address those other things, the social skill piece, the receptive language piece, the um, motor skill piece. It could be cognition, meaning that the child usually doesn't understand what you're trying to get him to do. And so, again, you've got to address those pieces first before signing will be effective. The second thing that I wanted to mention, and I, I said this in a one-sentence little thing, and then I realized I better back up, is you've got to be looking at motivators for a child. Most times we will try to introduce signs with something that a kid doesn't really care about. So why would a child communicate for that? You know, sometimes I'll see a kid who's had a history of picky eating and his, his therapist or his mom has thought, okay, I'll start with food because that's where we start with kids. Food usually is effective for toddlers. Again, I'm not talking about <laughs> healthy options. Go for the junk. But 
thing, you know, a snack kind of food, but that may not work for kids who are picky eaters. Or you may just have to really, 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 really look at what you're, how motivating what you're offering is. So you may think about junk foods and a kid doesn't like that. Maybe it's a texture issue or stuff. You may have to start with a flavored pudding or I've done milkshakes for kids who haven't liked um, solid, crunchy junk food and I've really been kind scrambling for, you know, I really, you know, who doesn't seem to like toys, what else can I try? That might be something. It might be, you know, a drink that mom offers very, very um, minimal amount of the time. You know, it could be like something in a drink box, you know, something that's, again, pretty novel that a kid would want to try. So you really need to make sure that what you're offering is motivating enough for a child to want to work for it. You may be trying to get the sign for more with a toy and the kid could care less about that toy. So back up, look at food. The other thing that's really effective is a movement kind of game or a movement activity, meaning that you're going to pick the kid up and swing him around or let him jump off the couch or throw him up in the air or whatever, whatever that little game has been. And I tell you, movement games tend to work best for kids who aren't immediately engaged with toys or food. So think about that. I've done a show about that in the past. I'm not going to keep talking about that. But usually when signs aren't working in that first couple of weeks, it's because a kid hasn't met the prerequisites or because you haven't found the child's motivators. So make sure that you're addressing that as well. All right, so back to the second reason that that more is still the first time that I teach toddlers, it's fast. And so that's another uh, reason. Let's move on to reason number three. And reason number three for why I still teach the sign more first, it's popular. Almost any person who has worked in childcare or even volunteered at the church nursery or, or even sort of paid attention to child development and who's heard of using sign language with children knows the sign for more. And again, if, if this is the first time you're thinking about this, if you're a mom and you're new to all this like talking stuff and you're just beginning to find out information, Google something like baby signs so that you can read about that. And let me just mention that, that lots of babies, lots of parents who aren't having difficulty learning how to talk are using signs with their children because of all the benefits that they've got about it. So it's pretty common like we were talking about at the beginning, and that's the third reason that I like this sign. It's popular. People know about it. And even if they don't know signs for lots and lots of other things, if they've even sort of heard about it, they know the sign for more. So that's the third reason I do it. The fourth reason I do the sign for more first is because it's functional. The word functional is something that you will hear therapists talk about a lot. What does that mean? It means that it's practical. It's something that a child can immediately use in his everyday life. It doesn't have to be related to therapy. It doesn't have to be related to specifically working on his speech or language per se, it's something that he can use all the time. And again, usable might be a synonym that you think about for the word functional. So that's why I like it. A kid can use it and use it a lot, which leads me to 
The fifth reason that I like the sign for more is because it's multi-purpose. You don't have to be playing with one thing or eating one specific food or doing one specific activity with the parents. It's multi-purpose. It, 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 it can be generalized. And that's why some therapists hate it. That's why some professionals recommend, no, we don't want to start with that sign because the child will learn that for, can use that for everything. And again, I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm looking at this from a common sense perspective. It gets a lot of practice when a child can learn to use that word for at the beginning, the very first couple of weeks that you use it, you just want to provide many, 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 many opportunities and many reasons for that child to be able to use that sign over and over again. And moms tell me that's the reason they like the sign for more because, listen, I almost always, especially if it's a mom who is I don't want to say educated because that's not really what I'm what I'm going for. A mom who has become pretty well versed in in all this therapy stuff may have heard from another therapist. We don't want to start with design for more. Or if it's a mom who's really tech savvy, and I know that she's going to be on the internet anyway, <laughs> looking up all of the things that we've done in therapy just to get more information about it, just to make sure that she's on the same page, just to make sure that she's doing every single thing she can do at home to help her child who's having difficulty learning how to talk. Sometimes moms will start to Google and start to search and start to read. So a mom may already kind of already have come across this information or in the in the first few weeks of therapy may come across some piece of a post from someone or another therapist in the past who said we don't want to start with that sign. So I try to address that and I'll say, listen, we're going to teach the sign for more because of all the reasons that we've talked about. It's easy, it's fast, it's popular, it's functional, and then I always say, and it's multipurpose, meaning that you can use it all the time. I say, but mom, this is a little bit controversial in the field of early intervention right now, because some professionals have said that children might overgeneralize, that children might use it for lots of things and kind of get stuck. And I always tell mom, it's my job and it's your job to make sure that happen, doesn't happen. So we start with the sign more. And again, I want you to use it when you're eating, when you're swinging, when you're playing with toys, you know, you have your bubbles out or your balloons or whatever's fun, and you can offer more and more turns. I want you to use more all the time right now. But I say to mom, but we're not leaving it there. We are not going to let your kid get stuck. And I'll say, remember, you know, stuck is the, the real-life common sense word for overgeneralized. We're not going to let that happen. We're just going to start with more, but we're going to continue to teach more and more and more signs until your child is ready to ditch that when he starts to talk. And that's another thing that I always say. If I feel like that there is occasionally a parent who, excuse me, may be a little reluctant, you know, we don't hear that as often, but when a mom will say that or I feel like that's kind of coming or maybe lingering under the surface, I always say, listen, your child, will, will when he learns how to talk, he may hang on to a little sign or two for a while, but more often than not, it's going to be easier for him to talk than it is to sign, and he will immediately stop signing. And I try to use the analogy with walking. Say, so remember when your baby crawled, and then he walked, and then he hardly crawled anymore because walking was easier for him and more efficient and faster? 
that's what that's what will happen with the signing too. His his words will replace all of that, so don't worry about that. And moms are usually pretty reassured by that explanation there. All right, so back to why we use uh, more and why it's multi-purpose. I do again really list all the ways that a mom could work on this. If I know that her child really is a grazer and wants to eat something all day long every day. I'll say, you know, this is a perfect opportunity every time that you're not really doing something that's, you know, when he's starving hungry and it's, you know, I have to eat now or, you know, kind of life or death thing, any kind of snack opportunity where it's not a meal where, again, mom's maybe waited 30 minutes too long to feed him, you're not going to try to sign for that kind of food. But anything, again, that's just um, more optional, that would be a good time for mom to sign with that food. So I'll say, you know, how many do you all have a morning snack? Do you have an afternoon snack? Or mom may say, well, gosh, we eat all day. If he's, if we're in the grocery store and he's hungry, boy, I pull out these animal crackers from my purse. And I tell mom, okay, you know, after the first one, after he's kind of gotten his little, little bump, if he's over hungry, you know, go ahead and feed him. But then when he wants that next one, that's a perfect opportunity to sign for more. And, again, she's mom's modeling that. And I always – and really consistent about telling mom, you're going to have to do it for him a lot in the beginning so that he can see you and hear you and know that that's what's worked for him, especially for a kid that we may have to provide that uh, physical assistance for for a while. I always want to make sure that moms know that. And, again, I'm going to write down these really specific ways that mom can practice, and I might say, or I might have noticed or just kind of known about a family that they do lots of toys in the bathtub, and I'll say, you know, he, he loves those toys in the bathtub, and that's, that's what he really expects. So tonight when, you, when you're getting ready to do his bath, don't put the toys in yet. Put him in water. That's a perfect time for him to be able to use that sign to really sign to get that next bathtub toy. And, again, you're setting this situation up. If they're um, about to slide and say a child needs help to climb up or help to kind of get started on the down the slide you know I might say to mom hey that's going to be a perfect time and I'm writing that down and and showing her you know we'll go outside and play on the slide together where I'm saying let's ask him here you know we're going to let him slide once and then we're going to ask him does he want some more we're going to help him do that and have him do it again and I'm telling her specifically how to cue it when to cue it We've already talked about why to cue it. You know, I'm going to show her again and again and again how I want her to do that at home so that she can continue. And I'm not just going to show her that, you know, in that one context, we're not just going to do the slide. We're going to teach it so that with lots of different things so that she can practice for the first few days or weeks that sign over and over and over. And, again, that practice is what helps the child master that that gives him the power of knowing that he can communicate and change his little world and that is intoxicating for everyone when you realize my goodness all I have to do is put my hands together and I get this next wonderful thing haven't you as therapists seen that realization right before your eyes with lots of your little clients they'll do it and they all of a sudden have that little aha moment where they're thinking, I can't believe I made that happen. That was me. And that's where we want kids to be. We want them to realize, 
you know, I have to do something to get something. And so like to sign for more because we can use it in those first few days and weeks over lots of different activities, lots of different motivators, lots of different opportunities for mom to use that sign all day long. And again, we're not going to leave a kid there. We're going to keep teaching new, more specific signs. But in the beginning, I think it's powerful to get that going and uh, not not only for the child but for the parent as well. Okay, let's move on so we can get through this whole list. Number six, the sixth reason that I still teach the sign for more first is because the word is also pretty easy. We know, studying speech language development, that the sounds made with your lips, if you're a speech pathologist, your bilabials, if you're not a speech pathologist, bilabials, you know, that that word bilabial means both lips. We know that those sounds, M's, B's, and P's, typically come first. So using a sign with the corresponding word, with a sound, a sound that's supposed to be pretty easy to say. Now, that doesn't always ring true, and we can always come up with exception after exception after exception. But for the most part, M would be an early target sound. And so using a word that starts with that. And, and again, it doesn't matter to me if a kid says uh for more or ma for more. I don't, I don't really care about articulatory accuracy yet. I'm just going for that attempt. And so for signs, we want to think about that, especially at the beginning. And so the word that corresponds to that sign is going to be usually easier for a child. So that's another reason that I would teach the sign for more first. Let's move on to number seven. The word more is evidence-based. Okay, what do I mean by that? Evidence-based means to a therapist that we have research, we have results from a study that says this will work or this is necessary or, you know, whatever your criteria is there. There's a 2011 study from Bryn Mawr College, the Child Institute there, that provided the 25 words, this is how they listed it, the 25 words that every two-year-old should know. And they based it on how frequently a child would need to use that word in his or her everyday life and how familiar the word was. And more is one of the words included in that 25-word list. So we can say, But teaching the word more, and if we have a kid who's a non-talker, if we're using the sign in place of that, teaching the word more is evidence-based. We know from that study, likely countless others, (laughs) that more would be a great introductory word, and that's why we would use that sign as well. All right, moving right along. Number eight, this goes along with it. Experts in the field of AAC, and for those of you, again, who are not speech pathologists, AAC means alternative augmentative communication, meaning something besides talking, something that would supplement or would add to or in the place of talking. Experts in that field use more as an option for picture systems and with other speech-generating devices all the time. 
And so they feel like for early communicators, and again, it wouldn't matter what age a person would be an early communicator. Developmentally, um, you could be much older than a one-year-old or a two-year-old or a three-year-old and still be functioning cognitively or language-wise at this level. You, you know, a person may have uh, anything that would result in a cognitive difference or a cognitive delay or disability, whatever word you want to stick on the end of that. And again, I'm not trying to be, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be sensitive to anyone who would care about how I worded that. And so anytime, you know, we may have an adult with a cognitive disability and they may still function down at this early, earliest communicative level, experts that that specialize in choosing systems, whether it be on an iPad or another kind of communicative device, usually begin with something that is very similar to more. Uh, and that brings me to the ninth reason that we teach the sign more first is because it's developmentally appropriate. When we are looking at early communicators, we want to teach them how to request and how to do some turn-taking. Those are, are, if we're thinking about pragmatic functions, and pragmatic means language use, how would a child use his word or his, in this case, sign to communicate? What are the reasons? What are the context or, or all the different ways how he could do it? And so usually we think about kids as using their early words to label. Those kinds of things certainly come first. But it's even more powerful, like I've mentioned a couple of times now, if we teach a child, I have to do something to get something, and, and we would really refer to that as requesting. And so more is important in that whole pragmatic um, application as that's why he needs another person. He he needs another person to fulfill that request, to meet that need, to satisfy whatever he's wanted. So teaching a sign for that is very developmentally appropriate because that's why we want kids to communicate. We want them to learn to use their language or use their signs or use their words, not just to label, but to go that next step beyond to ask for what they need. And again, that is super powerful for a kid who hasn't known that he could do that in any other way other than crying. And for some of our little guys, more is something, you know, especially from a mom perspective, not from a speech-language pathologist perspective who, you know, we're looking at every little grunt from birth as communicative. We're looking at every little movement that a child makes is potentially communicative, you know, that's part of our job. But just looking at it purely from a mom's perspective, the first time a child signs more might be the first time that she really sees him as asking for something or sees him as doing something, again, beyond something that's reflective or involuntary like crying or maybe whining or something that she sees as, very deliberate and very purposeful, like, oh, my goodness, she put her hands together to sign that, and all I did was say, tell me more, you know, or 
again, it may happen so fast for a child in therapy that mom is blown away that her child actually has the ability to do that. You know, she's certainly hopeful. That's why she has her child in therapy in the first place. But I love it when a mom gets so caught up and so excited in her child's progress that she sees the value in that. And again, more, teaching that sign for more is a really good way to establish requesting and turn-taking in a child who's done very little of that purposeful and deliberate uh, and communicative behavior until now. So that's another reason I really like it. All right, the tenth reason that I still teach the sign for more first is because I've seen it work. (laughs) It does. For, you know, over 20 years now I've been a speech-language pathologist and worked with, with babies and toddlers and I have seen success with the sign over and over and over and over and over again. And I don't want to sound unprofessional when I say this, but let me just tell you, I don't need a study to tell me that. I don't need a I don't need a an, an, a research article where somebody has looked at this and where they've analyzed, you know, so many different children in a pool because I've seen it you know, in 1993 and in 1995. And uh, when I went into private practice and only worked with babies, 1998 until now, I've seen success with the sign for more over and over and over again. So that certainly is a reason that I would um, use it and then I'm going to continue to use it. And, again, if there's a little bit of pushback with, a particular family or, again, a therapist. That happens a lot. I'm a consultant on a lot of teams now because I have this great private practice because of the success of TeachMeToTalk.com. And so I get to see kids now who, in the past, I was their only therapist or I might have been their only team member or certainly if there were, you know, lots of professionals working with the child, I was the only speech pathologist. But now, as I mentioned before, I get to see children that I'm the opinion of opinion, the 15th opinion, Um, and so there may be another therapist who really is a little bit reluctant or who doesn't understand uh, why we're using the word sign or using the sign for more or the word more. I would really try to address that and really try to say, look, I, I know what you're talking about with that research. I know and oh, let me just say, too, it may not even be research. They may just have heard it. Their professor in grad school may have said, we don't start with the signs for more in place because a child may is at risk to overgeneralize and we want to do something more specific at first. You know, and I just really talk about all the things that that I brought up in today's show. You know, kind of now I'll have a great, since I've done this show and I'm, write a post about it and hopefully get it up in the next day or so at teachmetotalk.com. I'll have a list. I'll have a list that I'll be able to say, you know, it's easy, it's fast, it's popular, and I can go down my whole little uh, justification here where in the past I might have talked about it a little more casually. If someone says the specific clinical reason that I am opposed to teaching this sign first is because I know that he might be more at risk to overgeneralize because he is on the autism and children with autism do tend to overgeneralize everything, then I really am going to tease out 
uh, why signs may not be a good strategy for that kid in the first place. There's an article at, that was published last year, 2013, in Frontiers in Integrative Science. That's a journal. And I saw it on Twitter the first time I saw it or Facebook or somewhere like that. Someone had posted it. But it was a review study, meaning that they looked at cumulatively at results from lots and lots of studies that had been done. And children with autism or who are suspected, well, I guess in the studies they were looking at children who had been diagnosed with autism. Um, and that, their review concluded that sign language probably won't be an effective strategy for a toddler or I believe it said young children. I believe it was looking at preschoolers with autism because of the things that we talked about when we were discussing prerequisites. They said that those children don't have good social referencing. And what does that mean? It means paying attention to other people, including other people. And because there were problems with uh, mirroring, and that's a fancy educational term for patient. So they can't always imitate, again, because of that, their ability to connect and watch another person and then repeat what they've done. And so if someone is really concerned about what signs we would introduce from an evidence-based perspective and looking at that, that research base, well, if, if that's they're using to decide treatment, well, then just throw the signs out because that study says these aren't effective with children with autism. That study said go straight to PECS. If there's more empirical evidence to support, beginning with a picture-based system, because it takes that whole social, it doesn't take the social component out because the child still has to trade the picture with another person, but it's not so dependent on him being able to uh, copy that person's movements or watch them well enough to copy their movements. With, with the picture change communication system, we're teaching children to pick up a picture and hand it to another person. And so, again, if a person is really wanting to say, I'm not going to, you know, it's not evidence-based to teach for because this child is more at risk to overgeneralize because of his diagnosis or suspected diagnosis, again, that's not a very valid reason at all. Because if they are really looking at the data, <laughs> they should be paying attention to signs shouldn't really be used for that kid anyway based on those things. And let me just say, it really doesn't matter what a kid's diagnosis is. If you do a good job making sure that a child is developmentally ready to sign, you're going to have a lot more success. And we already talked about that. He has to be social. He has to have some receptive moving along. He has to have some kind of motor, at least minimal motor competence. And if you don't have those three pieces in place, it doesn't matter what the kid's diagnosis is. Signs aren't probably going to be effective for the kid anyway. And so I hope that uh, I've given you some new things to think about when you are deciding if a child is a candidate for signs or not. And more importantly, giving you some common sense reasons and continuing to use signs like more, or if we were going to think about other signs like we said, please, those kinds of early requesting signs that aren't tied to a specific thing, I hope that you, again, have some new information to think about or some support. If you have been like me and you have heard that before about not using it, starting with more, or you've read it or someone has mentioned it to you, but it hasn't felt right to you, if you've known in your heart, well, I've gotten a lot of kids to sign by starting with more. Maybe this, again, will, will be your backup 
It'll be your support. And, again, it's, it's giving you a reason to keep on doing what you know how to do and what you knew worked, even without me telling you that it worked. All right. That's all for today's show. I've had a great time talking about this. I'll have the post up on uh, teachmetotalk.com with this link to the podcast if you want to share it with families or other therapists. And look for the sign to support this article in the next couple of days. It, if you don't follow teachmetotalk.com on Facebook or on Twitter, I wish that you would, and I'm going to post it, and I hope that you'll share it, share it, share it all over the place so we can get the word out that um, starting with sign, starting with the sign more is not a bad idea. All right, that's all for today. Hopefully we'll be back next week. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.